0: good morning again everyone we're so glad that you're here with us today welcome welcome smyrna campus we love you guys so glad that you're connected there and everybody that's connecting with us online we're so happy to have that connection with you uh this past week i was down at west point georgia for a board meeting at point university uh serve on the board there and uh uh, I also get to see my, one of our uh, grandchildren. Our granddaughter, Claire, is a student athlete there, so I always like to combine those trips and get to see her too. But I'm checking out of the hotel that I was staying in, and I uh, got in the elevator, and I, I was on the fifth floor, so I hit the lobby button, and on the way down it stopped, and I started to get out, and it had only gone down one floor. You know, it's just automatic when the door opens, just start to go out, right? But another couple got in, it was a man and his daughter, and I noticed they were really looking at me. I mean, you know how you feel a little awkward sometimes, people are just really looking at you, and I'm looking at myself, there's my pants zipped up, you know, is everything good? (laughs) Trying to make sure everything's okay. Uh, And I just said hello to them, and they said hello, and then the the daughter says, do we know you? And I said, I don't know. And they said, have you ever been to, I forget what town it was, and I said, no, I I don't think I have. Uh, And the guy was saying, have you ever worked in this area? I said, no, I'm the pastor at Lakeshore Christian Church in Nashville, Tennessee. And the daughter goes, that's where I know you. We watch you online sometimes. So, hello. (laughs) So, glad we connected in the elevator in West Point, Georgia. So, uh, I signed autographs and moved on. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) It was just great to know other people are connecting. They said they have a good home church back in their hometown, so we're glad of that. But it's always good to be able to know people are connecting with us all over the place there. Well, last week we started a new message series called Love Notes. This is, uh, you know, the month of Valentine's Day and all that. We've got picture stations at both campuses. We hope you'll enjoy taking some pictures today and having some fun with that. Uh, But this series goes along with that idea of love and what the Scripture says about love. And it's uh, centered in, of course, that passage in 1 Corinthians 13, which is often called the love chapter. And in that chapter, he gives us a description of what love is all about. And last week, we saw that love is patient. And today, we're going to see that love is kind. Look in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. Uh, We talked about the patience last week, because I couldn't wait to do that one. And so now, we're (laughs) going to talk about how love is kind. There was an American who played golf regularly. He was a scratch golfer, and uh, he uh, was able to make a trip uh, to Scotland for the first time, you know, like the home of golf. And he was able to get a tea time at one of the Lynx courses there, and they supplied a caddy for him. It was a local Scottish guy that was going to caddy for him. And he's having the worst day of golf in his life i mean he's hitting everything the wrong way and he loses his temper and he starts cussing and swearing and throwing his clubs and all kind he's just being ridiculous out there uh not showing any patience with himself or with the golf the game of golf and just really doing really bad and as they near the end of all the uh the, the round that day he looks at the caddy and he says to the caddy, you're the worst caddy in the world. You've got to be. I've never played this bad before in my life. And the caddy responded, I do not think so, Lally. Laddie, that would be too much of a coincidence. <laughs> you have to think about that one for a minute. The caddy was trying to be kind. He was trying to kindly tell the guy, there's no way I've got the worst golfer and the worst caddy paired up today, right? (laughs) It just couldn't happen, the coincidence would be too much. Most of us, generally speaking, are pretty kind people, and that's a good thing. Uh, But to really express kindness consistently, it means that we're kind even in circumstances and situations where the normal fleshly reaction would not be to be so kind, right? We can only do this by the power of God, by the presence of the Holy Spirit, and the teachings of God's Word. Uh, And being in that relationship with God that we need to be in, it helps us be able to be more kind as Christ followers. Now, we're gonna look at an example. When you think about an example of kindness, of course, uh, the greatest example of all would be Jesus. And all of these attributes of love, Jesus would be the greatest example of all of these, patience and kindness, Uh, were certainly something Jesus lived out regularly. So we're going to look at a great example of how you live out kindness even in pressure moments, even in situations where it might be hard and your natural fleshly reaction would not be to be so kind. So let's look at an example here, Luke chapter 8. If you want to be turning with me there, Luke chapter 8. Jesus has... uh, Already been very actively, publicly leading out in his ministry, and he's already been sending out others in his name, on his in his behalf. Uh, in the uh, previous part of this uh, chapter, we see that he's already uh, encouraging others to live out that teaching and that example that he's leading. And after this chapter, he's going to he's going to send out a large group to go from town to town representing him and doing great things in his name. So he's got a lot going on. He's got large crowds now that are following him. And you know what it's like, probably, you've seen it, even if you haven't experienced it yourself, when, like, let's say a celebrity goes somewhere and the crowd finds out about it, and the paparazzi finds out about it, what do they do? where they get there ahead of time, they, they try to get a glimpse, they try to get a little time with that person, they try to get to see them and maybe speak to them, maybe get an you know, all of that stuff. And many celebrities have expressed how that begins to wear on you over time. It begins to, to really cause you not to even want to be out there sometimes in public where you're being pressed by the crowds like that. Well, Jesus was not trying to be a celebrity in any way, but his reputation had already gotten out there. So every time a town or an area found out Jesus was coming, what would they do? They'd all get out there and wait for him and try to get some time with him and try to get to see him and touch him and talk with him. And it would be easy having to deal with that day in and day out for that to cause you sometimes not to be so kind to the crowd. And to the people in the crowd. You've seen celebrities snap sometimes, right? They, they don't respond very well to their picture being taken or, or somebody touching them or rubbing up, you know, that kind of thing. They, they overreact in a negative way. But you got to cut them a little slack. That can really be hard to have to deal with all the time. And Jesus interacts with two completely different uh, people uh, in this occasion that we're going to look at in Luke 8, beginning with verse 40. Uh, one was very well-to-do, and the other was the opposite, just pretty much destitute. And Jesus interacts with both of them. And I want you to see the kindness of Jesus in those interactions, even while He's being pressed by the crowds. Okay? Let's look at it together. Luke chapter 8, let's pick up with verse 40. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed Him, for they were all expecting Him. So what had happened already Word got out. Jesus is headed that way. So a crowd is already gathering to welcome him. And that's a kind way of saying, you know, give me some Jesus time here. We want to see Jesus. We want to talk to Jesus. We want to be able to have some interaction with Jesus. Because we've heard so many great things about Jesus. It says, now when uh, Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter a girl of about 12 was dying. All right, so this is the more well to do person. This is a synagogue leader. They would be thought of very highly, very well respected. If he had told people, you know, that were in the welcoming crowd that he needed to see Jesus, they probably would have made sure he got up front and he had the opportunity to see Jesus. It kind of comes with the territory of being a synagogue leader. You have a little bit more respect and a little bit more you know, accommodations made for you because of your position and how well known you would be in that area as a synagogue leader. And he had a situation where he wanted to see Jesus because of his daughter, a 12, about 12 years old, that was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds, listen to this, almost crushed him that's how intense this was that's how pressure-packed this moment was he's being almost crushed by the crowd now he's not traveling by himself he's got his closest entourage with him but it sounds like even that close entourage was not able to keep the crowd back. You've probably seen that happen before too, right? Where even though a celebrity, maybe they're on stage and they've got people for security, and somebody still makes it on stage, right, and charges the celebrity on stage. You've seen things like that. And, and that's what's happening to Jesus. Only it's a whole crowd that's pressing in on Him, almost crushing Him. In the crowd. Believe it or not, there have been ca- occasions, it's happened regularly, where in a crowd, in the rush of a crowd, people have died being crushed by the crowd. It's happened more than once here in America and in other parts of the world. And so Jesus actually is going to be feeling pretty threatened when he's being crushed by the crowd. How do you respond in a pressure situation like that? Or you actually may even have fear for your own life if things aren't taken care of like they need to be very quickly. You see, that's a real test of kindness, of having the kind of love that would allow you to respond with kindness even in those high-pressure circumstances, even when you feel maybe threatened in those circumstances. Are you still a kind person in those circumstances? Well, Jesus gives us a great example here. It says in verse 43, A woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet in the presence of all the people. She told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. And then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. So this woman would have been on the other end of the spectrum from the synagogue ruler. She had had this health problem for years. Nobody had been able to help her None of the doctors, none of the, the, the people there that were, that were the normal people who would treat this thing have been able to help her in any way. She's, she's probably, uh, according to the description we have here, probably destitute, financially has nothing left. She's tried everything to get better, and nothing has helped her until she touched the hem of Jesus' garment. The crowd would not have intentionally said, oh, let's be sure this lady gets up front and gets to see Jesus, not this lady. She would have been an outcast, not well respected or thought of. Well, let's go on here. After that happens, and immediately in response to that, uh, it says in verse 49, while Jesus was still speaking, some, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother to teach her anymore. So, man, think about that. He's finally made his way to see Jesus. Jesus has come to his town. He gets up to see Jesus. Jesus, it seems to him, gets distracted by this woman when he's trying to get Jesus to help him. And so he's probably pretty upset that he gets the news that his daughter has already died. This was his only chance in his mind to save his daughter, that maybe Jesus could do this for him when nobody else could, because they'd heard the stories, they'd heard about the miracles already that Jesus has already performed. This is the one, he thought. He probably did everything he could to get there that day and get up front in the crowd and get as close to Jesus as he could so he could talk to him. And now, in the eyes of the world, he's too late. His daughter has already died, and his friend says, you don't even need to bother the master anymore with this. It's too late. I mean she's died right when someone dies it's too late isn't it it always had been too late when somebody died for that person to get any help and Jesus has done some amazing things but it seems like even with Jesus we're too late to get the help that we came here to get that must have been the most disappointing time in Jr's life when he heard that report Well, with Jesus, it didn't stop there. He heard, he overheard what was being said. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, Don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James. They were the closest three to Jesus, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead, but asleep now what would you think? They already pronounced her dead. They've already checked her to make sure she's dead. And Jesus said, nah, she's just asleep. Stop your wailing. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told him to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. It's an amazing encounter that Jesus had under great pressure, and the way he responds is so kind. So let's review this story with three gifts of kindness that Jesus gave these people with the interactions he had with them that day. The first gift he gave them of kindness was the gift of attention, personal attention from him. There are so many times when we're busy, And we're pressed, and we have so much on our plate, like Jesus did, that we have people that want to give us some time of their lives, and they want to talk to us, and they want to interact and and, and be with us, and we're so busy that we don't give them any attention. Uh, you see what we parents and kids, right? We see that all the time. Parents, I'm not trying to, to make you feel guilty, but parenting is hard and you get so busy and your child, you've heard them say, Mommy, a hundred times already today and they want to show you something, right? It's hard to stop again and give attention to that child. It really is. Or it could be at work. You know, you've got that one coworker that just likes to talk and you've got a desk piled up With stuff, right? And they just stroll by like they don't have anything to do except talk to you that day. It's really hard to give them that attention, isn't it? To stop everything else. Jesus, when you think about it, had a three-year ministry to do everything God sent him here to do. It is packed full of decisions and activities and actions that he had to take And it would be easy to think, well, I'll be more effective with the crowds than I would be by stopping everything and giving attention to some individuals within the crowd. But there's some things about this attention that I want you to get. First of all, he was very flexible in the middle of that pressure-packed situation. A crowd had gathered to see and hear him, but he was flexible enough to allow for interruptions in his day. He changed his plans. That wasn't his plan. Now, he probably had the knowledge. He's Jesus, right? He, he knew these situations would be there that day. But he still, the plan was to go into that town and, and speak to the crowds. The plan wasn't to stop in the middle of all that and talk to the individuals that approached him that day in the crowd. But he was flexible enough To change his plans you know what causes you to be that flexible kindness rooted in love that's what allows you to be flexible with your schedule with your time with your attention that someone wants you to give them at that time now how many hours in a day 24 it's a good crowd all right (laughs) didn't know you're gonna have to do math that's all right 24 hours in a day how many hours in a day does this person have? How many for that person? For this person? Right. We all have the same 24 hours every day. That's 168 hours a week. And here's the deal. We all choose how we're going to use them. You say, no, we don't. Some of it's just forced on, it, on us. No, it's not. You still get to choose. Right. Well, no, i got to go to work. Well, yeah, you do to support your family, but you could choose not to go one day if you wanted to. You might pay consequences for it, but you're still in control of that, right? You get to choose what you're going to do with the hours of your day. Every one of us is choosing every hour what we're going to do that hour of our lives, So Jesus was flexible enough with that limited amount of time. He knew his time on this earth in the flesh was very limited, and he had so much to do, and still he was flexible with the time that his father gave him to be here. Flexible enough to give some individuals some attention. Most people would have thought, well, yeah, I understand, J.R. is a synagogue leader. Of course he would give him some time, but what about the woman with the bleeding? He gave her the same attention and time that he was giving to J. Arts in the middle of that pressure-packed situation. See, sometimes we act like we're being kind, but the person we're stopping and being flexible for is influential. And Mike could do something for us in return. It's easier to be flexible with that person, isn't it? Because we know that relationship could pay off for us. This woman had nothing to offer Jesus, and he still stops for her. He's still flexible with his schedule for her to help take care of her need, give her the time and the attention that she was looking for from him. So in this gift of attention, he had to be flexible to do that, and he was very personal in how he did this. Um, it might have been expected, like I said, that he would try to help a synagogue ruler, but, but not this woman. It's easier than ever today, with all that we have with technology and all, to avoid personal interaction with anybody. You can do almost everything you need to do without very much personal interaction. Thanks to the Internet, thanks to being able to do things online. Uh, we used to have to go to a bank and go inside the bank to do financial transactions, then they came up with the outdoor ATMs, right? So then you could do it out there. But now you don't even have to drive to an ATM. What do you do? You could sit in your home, pull it up online, and do your banking. You don't ever have to talk to a banker. You don't even have to talk to a loan officer. You just apply online if you need a loan. You don't ever have to interact with anybody in person to do most of the you Get groceries? Well, yeah, I still go to the grocery store sometimes, but I don't have to. do I? What can you do for groceries? Get those online, too. They'll deliver them right to your door. You don't have to interact a lot with the person at the door. You can just say, ring the doorbell and leave it and go. Right? You don't have to speak to the person. Because you can tip them online, too. You don't even have to tip them in person. Right? You don't have to have any personal interaction if you don't choose to. That's true now. It's getting to be they're, adv- they're advancing now this bill to allow more medical things to be done online. Right, where you can have uh, medical appointments uh, online. Uh, You're on the screen with your doctor or or physician's assistant and you're telling them your symptoms and they're telling you what to check and do and all that. Uh, So you don't even have to go in person to see the doctor. You can do that online now. And it goes on and on and on. Some of you attend church online. You don't have to interact with anybody else at church. You can just do it online. Is it the same? No. But is it possible? Yes. If you choose not to have personal interaction with anybody. But Jesus tells us to love with these characteristics. And yes, you can express kindness online, but it's not the same as personal interaction and showing kindness to somebody in person. Now you know when that happens with you how much more it means when it happens in person that somebody has been kind to you in person. And Jesus understands that because He created us. So He's willing to be inconvenienced. He's willing to have personal interaction with these people. He's willing to be paying some cost of time out of His schedule to give them some personal interaction that day. When... Uh, Sidney Simon wrote a book several years back called Caring, Feeling, and Touching. And he says this, there is a skin hunger we are born with. There's much confusion in our culture because so many never get appropriate loving touches. Many try to find it in all the wrong ways. We're made to have personal interaction with other people. We're designed by God for that. But it's inconvenient a lot of times, isn't it? Sometimes I have to remind myself, I know I don't have to go in a store and buy this, but I need to be out there interacting with people. Even when it's more comfortable to stay home in the PJs and just do it online, right? God designed us to do that. Now, one of the reasons we're designed to do that is the benefit it gives us. But the other reason is the benefit it gives them. The impact we can have, the influence we can have, the love and the kindness we can show to other people in the name of Jesus. That's why it's a big deal for Christ followers to have those personal interactions with other people because we are more influential that way for the cause of Christ. Alright, so that's the first thing. He gave them the gift of attention. The second gift He gave them was the gift of affirmation. And these are all connected to each other. Uh, He affirmed them by what He did and by what He said. First, He listened to them. Now, in the middle of a crowd like that, the apostles could have said, in fact, on some occasions they did say this, don't bother the teacher, he's busy right now. Remember when they tried to bring uh, children to Jesus one time, and, and the apostles tried to stop the parents from bringing their kids to Jesus, and Jesus said, no, let the little children come. I want to spend time with them. I want to talk to them, right? He had the kind of love that caused him to be kind and listen to the people that were trying so desperately to let them know what was going on in their lives. He heard the desperation of Jr's plea for his daughter. He chose to hear what this woman had to say. He already knew both stories. But what did he still do? He still listened to them. You may have a family member, I know I have, and now I'm becoming that family member, that may retell a story to your kids or grandkids, right? Or somebody in the family that you've already told, they've already heard it a hundred times but you're telling the story again. And sometimes when I'm telling it, I realize, oh, I've already told them this, but I try to elaborate a little more, (laughs) enhance the story a little bit to make it a little more interesting this time. It's harder to keep listening again, isn't it? When you already know the story. It's harder to really focus and give them your attention when you already know the story. Jesus knew every detail, about this man and this woman that he interacted with that day, but he still listened to them. He still heard them. He was willing to let them tell their story. It's essential if we're going to communicate love in a marriage, in a parent-child relationship, and a friendship. Listening is one of the key critical things for any relationship like that. Because listening is really one of the kindest things you can do for a person. It's to let them tell you what they're trying to tell you. What an act of kindness. Even when you already know, even when you've heard the story a hundred times, even when you've already told them the answer that they're trying to get, and they don't remember that, you still listen. You're giving them a part of who you are, a part of your life when you do that. That's an act of kindness rooted in love when you're really willing to listen. Now, here's the problem with listening. Jesus listened with love, and there's a difference in listening with love and listening without love. Most people have said, and I've heard it said again recently, a study that was done. uh, I don't remember the person who said uh, this quote, but this quote was, the problem with us today is we don't listen to understand, we listen to reply. Jesus listened to understand. He felt the hurt, the pain, the loss that the person was expressing as they came to him. With the help of God and the work of his spirit, we can learn to listen with that kind of kindness and compassion to the people God puts in our path, where we're really listening to understand who they are, where they're coming from, and not just trying to think of a reply the whole time they're talking to us. We're really trying to hear the need in their heart and their language and their voice. The needs of this poor sick woman, no doubt, were now being ignored by most of the crowd. She probably had nobody she could go to anymore. She's tried everybody she already knew. Nobody's been able to help her. They all know the story already. She shared it with everybody, and nobody has been able to do anything. I'll bet when they saw her coming and they knew what she was going to say again, what would they do? They would kind of ignore her, act like they didn't see her, act like they didn't hear her, right? And when J.R.S.'s daughter was sick, he knew this was a deathly illness. Jesus could hear the desperation in his plea. Please help my daughter. There's nowhere else to go. Like any parent who loves a child, when you know it's critical, it breaks your heart. And Jesus listened to their hearts that day. What a gift to give someone. What a kindness to show someone. uh, I've been preaching for over 40 years now. And... I figured it up, even the Sundays I've taken off and stuff like that. I've preached over 2,000 sermons during that time. And during that time, I started a file many years ago, not right at first, but a little later into my ministry, as you get to running into problems and things like that, I started what I call an attaboy file. You know what an attaboy file is? It's when somebody sends you a note or something of kindness or encouragement and I put that in a file. Now back when I started, believe it or not, it was the dark ages, there was no internet, and I would put them in an actual folder on paper, that they were written on paper and handed to me, and I would put them in that folder. Now sometimes I get an attaboy online, right, an email or a text or something like that. I get an attaboy like that, and I always try to save those. I have file folder that's electronic, and I put it in that file folder when I get an attaboy. You know why? Because it takes ten attaboys to make up for one gotcha. Well, if that's true for me, who else is it true for? Everybody else, too. You see, that kindness of telling somebody I appreciate you, like what you did meant so much, that that note, that thank you note. Uh, I love, uh, my mother-in-law is so good at sending out cards, right? And she's so kind about it. And she's, when she hears about somebody that's sick or going through a hard time, she wants to send them a card. And that's a ministry for her. And you know what? That's a kindness that impacts people's lives big time. Especially when you get, in this day and age, a handwritten note or something like that, you know, it... it Still, the emails mean a lot, and the texts mean a lot, but but boy, when they took the time to write a handwritten note and send that to you, isn't that a big deal to you, that somebody was that kind to you? Well, that's the kind of love Jesus is showing here, and that's the kind of love he wants us to show, where we're kind to people like that. We are the source of their attaboys, their thank yous, their encouragement that they needed to get through what they're going through. Everyone needs to be and loves to be elevated and encouraged. Everybody needs that. And God can use all of us to be some of those people that are providing that encouragement to other people around us that God put in our path. So he gave them the gift that day of, of um, kindness, of attention. He gave them the gift of affirmation. Uh, he listened to them. He elevated them. He made the 12 year old girl a higher priority than the crowd. He made the needs of this poor sick woman who no doubt had been excluded from society a higher priority than his busy schedule. The third gift that he gave them was the gift of acceptance. The gift of acceptance is something that's been uh, taken in our culture and twisted around to mean something that it didn't mean for Jesus. Acceptance doesn't mean Uh, that you agree with everything going on in their lives the way jesus practiced acceptance and his kindness Uh, he disagreed jesus did without being disagreeable he disagreed without being disagreeable now friends i don't care what labels you use or what side of the aisle people put you on or say that you're on or you claim to be on Uh, We are in a culture today where people have lost the art of disagreeing without being disagreeable. That art has been destroyed in our culture. It's no longer practiced by either side very well, no matter what side of the aisle you say that you're on. I see more mean-spirited yelling and screaming and arguments than I've ever seen in the United States of America today on a regular basis just because people disagree on something. There's no kindness. There's no real care or concern for the person on the other side. And I can understand that from someone that's not a Christ follower, a lot more than I can understand it from someone who claims to follow Jesus. Because Jesus wasn't like that. He was around people that disagreed with him all the time. And people that were plotting to undermine him all the time and people that wanted to stop him and what he was doing all the time and people that were even plotting to kill him for much of his three-year ministry and he was still kind to people consistently kind to them even when he knew they disagreed with him and he disagreed with them the crowd would not have thought that he should give this woman his attention the crowd at the home of Jairus, when he said, She's not dead, she's just sleeping, what did that crowd do to Jesus? They laughed at him. But Jesus was still kind to them, even when they laughed at him. Even when they scoffed at him helping that woman, most likely many of them did. He was still kind and compassionate, even when he disagreed, and they knew he disagreed, they disagreed with him. Sometimes it's not what you say either, it's how you say it, right? Especially as Christians, if we're gonna represent Christ well, the way we respond, the way we say things, even in disagreement, needs to be tempered with love and kindness as we're talking to people. And that's not the the normal fleshly response that we would give, but that's what we need to try to learn to do with the help of the Holy Spirit. There was a six, eight Texan that walked up to the counter at McDonald's in a Texas town there, And he ordered a Big Mac, but he said to the girl at the counter, I only want half a Big Mac. The girl at the counter said, well, we don't normally do that. Hold on just a moment. And she went back to talk to her manager about it. And she didn't realize it, but that big 6'8 Texan followed her back. She didn't realize he was standing there. And she says to her manager, there's some guy that looks like an ox. He's dumber than a rock, and he wants half a Big Mac. Then she saw the large man had followed her and she said, and this gentleman wants the other half. (laughs) Sometimes it's not what you say, it's how you say it, right? (laughs) Would the way you spoke to that person, would that person say you were kind to them? The last interaction you had of disagreement with somebody. Think about it for a minute. The very last time you had a disagreement with someone... And they were saying things you didn't agree with and doing things you didn't agree with, and you tried to express how you felt about it, would they say you were kind and how you did that? Not that they agreed with what you said, would they just say you were at least kind in the way you said it? You see, if we're going to represent Christ well and his love in our hearts, Then we've got to work at being kinder to the people who disagree with us it's not condoning what they believe it's not approving of what they believe if it contradicts scripture just to be kind to them you can still be kind and disagree with what they believe what they practice and what they teach you don't have to be mean-spirited about any of it and so he accepted without approving. And that's something we can learn to do with people. There's a big difference between acceptance and approval. And Jesus set a great example of how to be kind to others who had not yet surrendered their lives to Him. He never condoned their sin. Not one time does Jesus ever condone anybody's sin. Not ever. But He did understand that. Many of those people in those sins did not yet know him or know his teaching or surrender had not surrendered their lives to him. He couldn't expect them to be there yet. To be where they needed to be yet. Until they made that decision and came under his authority and his teaching, they couldn't live that different lifestyle. And so as Christ's followers in the world today, we need to understand that those people out there in the world that may even be attacking Christianity or attacking the church, for us to expect them to act like Christians is pretty well ridiculous, because they're not Christians. Why would they act like Christians when they're not Christians? Our job is to help them find Jesus and learn to know and follow Jesus. Only then can their lives be transformed by Jesus. Until then, they're going to live like the world. Until they're transformed by the power of Jesus. We shouldn't expect anything different. Now, I understand that the church in America was spoiled for a long time when even people that weren't necessarily Christians just accepted and, and went along with Christianity and the church and all of that and kind of supported it. That was nice. It was a good period in our country. But we're not there anymore. The majority of people in America today do not identify as Christians anymore. They do not. We're in a different place now. And because we're in a different place that's not a majority Christian place, we've got to stop expecting the majority of non-Christians to act like we want them to act. Speak like we want them to speak. Do what we expect them to do as Christians. They can't even do it if they wanted to without Christ. We can't do it without Christ ourselves. We can't expect them to. So that would help us be kinder and more patient with them. We can accept where they are without approving of where they are. Now here's why that's a big deal. It's because that's exactly what God's done for us. That's exactly what Jesus has done for us. Personally, every one of us, that's what he's done for us couple of passages in Romans I want to close with. Listen to these. It'll help get us the right perspective, right? Romans 5, verses 6 through 8. You see, at just the right time, when we were still what? What does it mean by powerless? We couldn't fix this ourselves. Nobody out there in the world can fix their sin themselves. That's where they are right now. And they can't fix it themselves, okay? Listen, At just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for what group? The ungodly. Guess what group we were in? The ungodly. That's where we were. Okay. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own, what's that word? Love for us in this. This is how you express the love He's talking about. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. you get it we were his enemies when he died for us we were in opposition to him when he died for us how did he treat us when we weren't where we were supposed to be what kindness what love that he would do that for us Romans 2 verse 4 it says this I love it or do you show contempt for the riches of his what's that word kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to what? Repentance. If we want the world to change, we need to go to them with the love and the kindness of Jesus. Because that's what God uses to bring people to what? Repentance. You know what repentance is? That's when they'll turn from their sins and to turn what, to what is right. We're going to win the world by the love and kindness, not by the arguing and the mean spirit that attacks. And it's hard. And it's only when we bring our flesh under the control of His Spirit that we can live that kind of kind, loving lifestyle. Maybe there are people today hearing this message that are ready to take that step. You see the conflict in the world. You see how people are treating each other so Unkind, and you want to be a part of what it's going to take to change that. The only way you can do that in the flesh is to crucify the flesh and rise up to walk by the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that in Jesus we can see that transformation from being controlled by the flesh and its desires to walking by the Spirit that produces that kind of love and that kind of kindness, that we see Jesus living out in this example that we looked at today. As we interact with people day in and day out in our lives, may we, may we so be representative of Jesus that they see Jesus in us. They see us lifting him up so that they have the opportunity to be drawn to him, to know him, to follow him. May we show the kindness to others that Jesus has shown to us. Father, I pray that if someone here today is ready to take that step of transformation in their lives, that even today, they would come to your call, into your kindness, into your love, into your forgiveness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.